We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. Three people make audio recording that will be totally pointless by the time it reaches anyone's ears. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's right. We are mostly going to discuss all transfers today. And that means that by the time you have this on your listening device and in your ears, nothing we say today will be relevant, timely, or accurate. So with that in mind, let me introduce the people who will be saying this irrelevant nonsense, uh, I guess in some ways that makes this no different than any other episode. We have Paul. He's pausing in my pants on Twitter. Hello, pause. Woohoo! Clive's on Twitter at Clive P-A-F-C. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Between bites of his dinner. Um, my name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner, obviously. Um, give us five-star review. Write nasty things about Tim in the comments. He cannot be here because uh, he is contractually obligated to uh, be off any podcast that discusses the transfer window. Uh, Scott will not be here. Apparently, he is busy buying a condemned building in San Francisco for a million dollars. So... Yeah, uh, that's kind of where we're at right now. We are going to discuss Bournemouth a little bit, but really more in the context of the bigger overarching issues uh, that are affecting the club right now, namely that uh, the manager needs to be sacked, uh, the owner needs to be removed, and the club needs to be uh, delisted, and the Emirates needs to be burned down. Other than that, though, everything is good. Clive, I'm going to start with you today um, because I want to get your thoughts on something. Alexis was left out of the match, and... Yep. The manager had this to say. He's being vague at the moment. His situation is not completely decided one way or the other, so I left him at home. Uh, yeah, so he then went on to say, yes, don't read too much into it because even I don't know really what way it will go. Um, this 
you can contrast with his comments in the summer where he said it is ideal to have key players going into the final year of their contract. <laughs> um, and quite clearly, he was correct about that. It's very ideal. Um, but my question to you is really this. I mean, we saw him play Samar Nasri uh, before moving him to City. We saw him play Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain before moving him to Liverpool out of position and putting forth really one of the disgraceful performances I've seen in an Arsenal shirt in a long time. Um, and yet he leaves Alexis out here. And you could say a lot of things about Alexis, but this is not a guy I've ever seen walk around the pitch, sort of strop his way around the pitch, not try, not give his all. And you look at the lineup and you have Danny Welbeck and Iwobi trying to set up Lacazette. And you could really see that this was going to be a struggle. Um, how hard is it to hear these words from Arson and see this situation develop after he called this ideal? And do you think, regardless of the imminence of a move, he had a responsibility to use his best players for this game? Did you say Nasri put in a disgraceful performance? No, Oxalid Chamberlain put in a disgraceful oh, okay. performance sorry, sorry. out of okay. position. Yeah. No, Nasri played brilliantly before his move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was man of the match, if I remember correctly. But, yeah, um, yeah sorry. So anyway, uh, Clive, I guess really those two things. Contrast what he's saying now with his ideal comments, and then do you think that it is, it is <laughs> let's throw it out there, dereliction of duty not to have Alexis involved in this game? Uh, yeah, I think it's a difficult one. Right? It's all result-dependent. If we... We went to Liverpool, we played Oxlade-Chamberlain. The Ox didn't play, we lost. If we'd have won this game, which we were well on the way to winning, then he said, that's what he should have done to Oxlade-Chamberlain, should have left him out. We end up losing the game with a five-minute spell of of indifference, and then you're looking at this, well, you know what, this game wasn't that difficult. If Alexis had played, I'm sure we'd have won it. And it's, it's just really, everything is driven by the result. If you're looking for consistency from the manager, then you're looking in the wrong place, really, aren't you? Because the manager has long since given up being consistent. He's really in a situation right now where he's he thought he was in control, but he's no longer in control of events. Events around the club, the media swell, the vulnerability of the club due to our top players being contracted in a situation where we can be picked off. Uh, even about motivation to the players have been questioned. I mean, your thoughts about Ozil and his, and his winter break injury, which is nice and timely. I mean, you can have that opinion based on historic historic data that almost every year he, he does this. Sanchez, you say he doesn't mooch around. Well, you know what? I've seen him mooch around. I've seen him in games mooch around live myself in minutes where he doesn't want to play. So maybe he wasn't in the frame of mind. Maybe he went on strike. Maybe Wenger protected him like he always does. Even he protects players in the departure lounge, even when sometimes they don't deserve it, right? But that's the man himself. Clive, what you're describing it, doesn't sound ideal, weirdly enough. He does, he I, I was told this was ideal. ideal. <laughs> to be and fair, is, though, can, can I just say, Clive, on the ideal comment? I mean, that was clearly a pissed-off manager giving a sarcastic answer. So we can't take it as him making a serious statement. Let's come back to that, Paul, because I want to sort of take issue with that with you after Clive's done. So let, let's let Clive finish here, because I, I do want to yeah. address that. Yeah, it's, it's just the thing that concerns me is that, you know, whenever you're in any sort of senior position, you want to have control. You want to have control of all the narratives around you. You want to have control of... You know everything you can possibly control because you can't always control the bounce of the ball and what happens on the what happens on green grass. And Wenger's been very lax about controlling the stability of the club. And this is the guy that's meant to be giving us stability. It's one of the reasons why we have sustained him for 21 years, right? So right now we're looking like the most unstable club in the Premiership. 
And that's that's on him, right? That's on him. He has not controlled the narrative appropriately. He's allowed it to control him. And now we've been opened up. You know, you like to keep yourself closed. You like to let a bit, a bit of mystery. The mystery is disappearing. Right? So we are open. We are open to people having opinions about our key assets. And what we saw on, on the weekend was a, an Arsenal team without its key assets. And how did it look to you guys? Not great. And I mean, I, I take your point that we could have, you know, won this game without him if it weren't for five minutes of defensive lapses. But we weren't creating chances for fun and we, we weren't particularly ripping them apart. So, I mean, I, I don't no. think you could point to this game and necessarily say it was one where elec- not having Alexis didn't hold us back. You know, there's some games where you could say, look, Alexis or no Alexis, yeah. that wasn't where the problem was. I think that was a big problem on the day. Absolutely, I agree with you. I love to see them play. I like having our best players play. And so I'm not saying the manager did the right thing, but when he wasn't picked, I thought, okay, he's gone. He hasn't gone yet, but he may be gone by the end of the week, right? So we don't know the situation. Did Mourinho want him pulled out, which is classic Mourinho, and then just to unsettle him for the rest of the week? There's so many, I hasten to use the word, intangibles here that we're just not sure of. But... In the end, he took the decision not to play him, and all we can do is say, okay, he knows more than us. So we have to sort of back it, right? Yeah. Um, all right, so, Paul, just real quick, I, I want to read the exact quote about Ideal. Um, it was at the end of July, and he says, I think it is an ideal situation. When you are a football player, you perform until the last days of your contract. I think the performance on the day does not depend on the length of the contract. If that was true, we would sign everyone for 20 years and be happy. Now, I agree with you. To some extent, the manager is forced to say things that back the, the move the club is taking. And I get that. I don't think it was a throwaway sarcastic comment like, oh, it's ideal. Yeah, we're thrilled about it. He, he didn't say it that way. And I can go back to another quote a couple summers ago where he said, you cannot sell Samar Nasri and Cesc Fabregas and say that you are a big club with big ambitions. And again, I think you do get a little window into the man- manager with some of these comments and, and the difficulty they have being consistent internally with their logic and their decision-making because about a month after those comments, we were trying to sell Alexis Sanchez. So, I mean, I do think that, that it is endemic, if not a comment, Paul, that should be taken completely at face value. It is at least emblematic of a little bit of what we're seeing at the club, which is a lack of clarity and decisiveness in the way the squad is being built, in the way the contracts are being handled. And, you know, I, I mean, we do have this tendency when we like what Arson is saying or want to believe what he's saying to say, oh, we have to take him at his word. For example, when he says Mesut Ozil has a knee injury. Well, the manager said he has a knee injury and didn't play. We have no reason to believe he's not telling the truth there. But we, we sometimes cherry pick the ones we're going to say we have to believe and then the ones we say, oh, oh, he's just saying that to the media. So, I mean, don't you think at some level... Those kinds of comments, especially with the history he has of some of the comments and some of the behavior in the transfer window, paints at least a little bit of a picture that is consistent with what we're seeing, which is a lack of decisiveness and clarity of squad planning. Well, um, I would, it would be a fool's errand to contradict you on the, on the major part of that point. I mean, there's Thank no you. real argument. <laughs> yeah. This is going I mean, better than I expected. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, at this stage, who could defend our dealings now? I would zoom in on the ideal thing, which is a minor point, only because only a lunatic would say it was ideal. Now, he did say it. Uh, I remember the time. I looked at it various times because, you know, a few people jumped on it at the time. He was clearly irritated by journalists asking the kind of master of the bleeding obvious question. And he said it was ideal. Of course, he doesn't think fucking think it's ideal. Yeah, Nor was he trying. 
nor was he trying to imply to the journalists that he actually thought it was ideal. It was kind of he even pauses kind of and then changes tone and then gives the more serious answer where he defends the position that he's yeah. in. No, that that's a fair point. But um, it's a mess. L- I mean, l- l- it's let's a do mess. this. I I think I I have some some really important or I think they're important questions to ask you. So rather than getting hung up, hung up on yeah. something that we we've covered extensively, and I think Clive uh, answered really effectively. Uh, let's move on to something that you can attempt to do the same with. We will be judging. Um, so, look, the, the game gets going, and it's it's kind of a mess. And, you know, I think uh, what we started brightly, but he faded. Danny Welbeck really struggled to get involved. Lacazette started dropping deeper and deeper. I did watch uh, Adrian Clark's breakdown. I think he did a really good job of basically showing how we were shit, but, like, without saying we were shit at any yeah. point. But you, you can see him dreading certain games to have to do. This was one where he was like, oh, Jesus, you could see. Oh, yeah, it's it like, like having how to be on state TV. Shit? Yeah, like the state yeah. TV channel and then like having to criticize the government yeah. without getting your head lobbed off. Yeah. Um, but so, I mean, the one thing I want to do in covering this game is is talk a little bit about issues that that I think continue to be problematic. Um, the, the midfield was a problem here. And. Shaka for me is increasingly looking like a terrible buy. Now again, I want I want to be clear about something. I don't think he is a terrible player. Far from it. I think Shaka. You're, you're really upsetting me because I was about to look for the opportunity to make your life hell by telling you that I thought Shaka was a duckbill platypus of a player. <laughs> well, here you go. Um, a he a he runs like one. B what the fuck is he? And see, I owe you for that demolishment, if that's a word, you did a Francis Coquelin in that eulogy last week. You absolutely feckin' destroyed me. You started off by annihilating him. Then you kind of lifted it up a bit, and I thought, oh, okay, we're going to round it off, and we're all going to be friends. And then you said something terrible again, and I'm thinking... (laughs) Uh, I was thinking afterwards, what is that like? That's like somebody going to somebody's funeral of a guy (laughs) you never really liked very well. And it's not really your job to to talk. But <laughs> to the, eulogize him. <laughs> yeah. You stand up there after the vicar's done and you're like, what did we really know about this guy before he met up with Janice? <laughs> he was a what shady character. So far? <laughs> yeah. The right. fucker's dead, for God's sake. Well, so Let then him- what is Shaka? Well, why did we buy Shaka? I, I mean, you, you know, this this to me is the question. We spent 35 million pounds on him. It, it, it forces us to sort of make do with him and build a midfield around him, it seems clear that whatever qualities he has are not the qualities we needed. We have a lot of players that I think can do what Shaka does, but we we don't have any of the players. Every time I, I criticize Shaka on Twitter, people say, oh, he just needs a rangy athletic partner next to him, just someone who can defend and run around and, and is athletic. And I'm like, well, all of our central midfielders seem yeah. to need that. So why didn't we buy that? Why did we buy this? <laughs> yeah. I have no idea. I mean, I, I, I just don't. I mean, the, as you highlighted recently with a couple of quotes, the manager didn't seem to know what it was he had bought uh, and was changing his mind. Uh, I love – I mean, here's what's telling, right? Because after a while here and after going back and forward and been told he couldn't tackle and a few other things, Chaka comes out with, uh, really, I'm a bit of a false 10. I mean – a, that's nothing we signed him for or tried to use him Nor for. Nor needed, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And B, it's somebody saying that he is what it is he is not. So that's not confusing even for him. You know, a false 10, that's, fuck. We got a lot of false 10s. We've got Ozil, who's wearing an 11. We've got Jack, who's wearing a 10, but not allowed to be a 10. We've got Ramsey, who wants to play a 10 like he is for Wales. 
And as you say, we're still missing the one player that might let any of those guys do what they want to do. And we'll probably have a discussion at some stage about how Jack, if he signs up and Ramsey plays with us and Chaka and what we do with the three of them and who goes where. And But, you know, we just got a lot of pieces jigsaw-wise. And I agree with you. The one thing we don't have is anything that does what Kante does, a- anyone who does what Matic does. Uh, when you see... Uh, Chaka, I think it's on, isn't it the second goal? That is Um, disgraceful. I'm sorry. And this is my point, too. Everybody wants to beat up on Alexis, his giveaways, and, you know, read into it that it's because he wants away or something like that. Well, Granit Chaka just got here, essentially, and he's. He just lets his marker walk right past him for that goal. And I realize that holding is to blame for not stepping up, but there's no excuse for Chaka doing it. He looks over his shoulder, he sees the marker, and then he lets him walk right by him. Yeah, and, you know, you, you say there's that whole space in front of the two centre-backs. Whose job is that? And he's just not – he's he's looking at it like he's a false 10 in that spot, that, you know, anything he does back there is gravy. I mean, he's kind of sa- sauntering along in one direction, and then he kind of jogs like a very slow a duck-billed platypus would jog backwards, as if it's not, you know, not really his accident. He just happens to be on the scene. It's like – Holy shit. So, I mean, is it is it a case of, I mean, forgetting the effort part and the concentration part. I mean, I look at it and I say he has no defensive awareness. He's positionally not very strong. He doesn't get himself in position to receive the ball well. If he receives it on his right, it takes him 10 minutes to get on his left. He can't play the killer ball for an assist. He's more of a, a ball before the ball guy. His, his strength yeah. is long balls. And we're playing him in a position where, you know, he can't do what Arteta does. He can't be the metronomic, you know, wall pass kind of guy. He's not a rhythm player. Right, he's not. And he has no range and no mobility. I mean, we put 35 million pounds plus his wages into this guy. And so, you know, the manager, he's going to stick and not twist. And I guess it just makes me worry. How do we construct a midfield now? Because if we want to keep Ramsey and if if Jack is staying and resigning and Shaq is now there and we're stuck with him, is there a functional midfield you can build that way? And you look at the, the players we're targeting in the window, and there's no hint of, you know, I mean, Liverpool are getting Naby Keita, and I, I get it. That, I'm not saying it needed to be that guy, but, like, that that's the kind of guy. You know, we bought Shaq in the window Naby where Kante moved. You know, we could have uh, used that. Jean-Michel Seri. I mean, I don't know that much about any of these guys. Obviously, we've all gone and had a look since their well, names came Well, then you clearly up. know as much as Arson did when he bought Shaq. <laughs> That's the scary thing. Uh, And the other the other upsetting thing is it almost works. You know, Chaka and Jack works for most of the game. But uh, at moments like that, you realize you still don't have that player who's wired to think it's my job to cover that space in front of the center backs. You know what's funny? Uh, <laughs> he, yeah. he used to get red cards because he'd just kick out at people running by him. So we trained yeah. that out of him, and now he just lets them go by. <laughs> so yeah. instead instead of red cards, now he concedes goals. Um, well, and, look. and, you know, the, the other name that comes to mind is just Maitland-Niles. But uh, unless unless he's coached, and unless he's given time, and it's just too much of a burden. I mean, he's the right profile. He's got the skills. He's probably got he's developing the right mindset at uh, left wing back. Uh, but but it, my concern is not so much, you know, people say Arson doesn't coach. Um, I think my concern is because Arson 
hasn't even really been look- he's talked at times about looking for the you know a petit or a replacement uh, Gilberto Silva or whatever but if that's what he was really looking for he'd have gotten somebody by now so to me he doesn't even recognize he says he needs it but if his then why, if he yeah, played, why isn't he going for it? and he says he knows every player in Europe remember we know every player yeah, yeah. in Europe mm-hmm. um Let's finish on Chaka because we have other people to kick while they're down. Um, uh, Clive, I, I mean, you want to finish up here because then I want to talk young players and then I want to get to transfers because that's really the, the, the star okay. of the show. Just a quick one on Chaka. You, you asked, you know, what does he do? Why does he buy him and what is he? If you put him in, say, Bayern Munich's team in a 4 2 3 one that's one of the two in the middle, but with two wingers like Robin and Ribéry or Kingsley Coman, etc. right? So if you put him in that team that has the ball, and his job is to spin the ball out side to side to give it to the one-on-one merchants, he becomes somebody very dangerous because he's got a great pace of pass, he's got a range of pass, and he's now giving it to somebody who can do damage. So in that pattern, he's somebody you've got to stop because he keeps recycling the ball and getting one-on-ones because we can't get our second man over there to, to get onto the wingers. So I can see him in a Bayern Munich system really, really easy. They haven't got many, much defending to do, so they're looking for people who can use the ball well. What we do at Arsenal, and you're judging him, Elliot, particularly on what he does defensively, and I heard you on the last pod talk about the players that we have in there, and they are basically the same players in their psychology. They walk on the pitch, they all want to be number eights, and they all want to play. So when the ball, when we're off the ball, it's not a natural reaction to smell danger. And then when he doesn't smell it or can't get to it, we then criticise him. So what have we bought? Well, we bought in Ramsey, Shaka and, and Jack and potentially all up to a point. We have very similar psychology of players. They want to be the other person in centre midfield. But Shaka's the one that's been seen as the most defensive. So he's the one that seems to be failing because he can't keep the ball into possession and he can't really defend consistently over 90 minutes. And so really, I think it's the failing of what we bought. We didn't. We knew what we bought and we thought we could adapt him rather than buying a specialist for the job to set the rest of the team free. I mean, that sounds great. <laughs> Problems, you know, I mean, this is the scary thing. It just, it doesn't, it doesn't, we are now stuck trying to construct a midfield with a lot of parts that all kind of do the same thing. Um, and Exactly. I mean, you said the other week, I thought it was really, really good, actually. I mean, you might want to save it till later about Ramsey and, and Jack being the same player. Well, they, they generally are. They, they literally are one player we they, we all look at Jack's injury record and actually we think well you know Ramsey's much fitter but there isn't much fitness difference I had a little look today and um, you know between 2009-2010 Ramsey's had 14 injuries and Jack's had around 13 injuries the amount of days that Ramsey's missed is for 650 days of football and 112 games and with Jack it's like 13 injuries but it's 900 plus days and 155 games. So really, we have these two players that are one player. And then you've got Xhaka next to him. At least he's always there. He's durable. But stylistically-wise, how can we get the three of them to work? How can we make our midfield work when we know we haven't got the balance of of skill sets, really? And, mm-hmm. and that is down to the manager. It's absolutely a huge dereliction of duty that we are carrying these players. And we're not giving them a chance to maximise their talents. We've got to choose which one is 
is that one? Or do we just say, this is a modern game. We got a three-man midfield and we need six really good players. Two of them are quite defensive and four of them are quite progressive. And you four will have to share games. I'm looking at your injury record and you cannot sustain football three times a week. And so these decisions that a good manager will make rather than leaving it out to the debate rather than watching people break, rather yeah. than overplaying Ramsey, rather than playing Jack with misdiagnosis. And then we lose these players for nearly 300 games in the last five or six years. That's just ridiculous. It is ridiculous. And we'll, we'll, we'll come on to one of those players who missed a lot of time who's now leaving the club. But, uh, you know, I think it's interesting, too. We talk about Alexis. What are the things Alexis does bad? He gets dispossessed and he doesn't pass. He doesn't complete a lot of passes. Without Alexis in the side, we had our most... Uh, we were disp- I, I want to make sure I say this statistic right because they, they don't always mean the same things. We were dispossessed the most against Bournemouth that we have been all season, 20 times. We had one of our lowest passing completion games of the entire season at 74%. I believe the only lower one was 70%, and our starters averaged 72.4%. Shodran Mustafi, who's known for being our passing center back, gave away 22 passes. He completed just 60% of his passes. He was 3 of 15 on long balls. Mustafi, Holding, Jack, and Shaka were among the worst passers in the team in terms of misplaced passes. How can you win a game when two of your center backs and your two central midfielders cannot complete their passes? Um, It is basic stuff that we are getting wrong right now. Um, You know, and... Uh, Elliot, I I mentioned on the last part about... Uh, that clip of Wenger practically rolling his eyes to Lehman mm-hmm. uh, after Mustafi did this long ball over the top yep. to nobody, as if it, it was very much a fuck. There he goes again. Yeah, and and speaking of there he goes again, Paul. I mean, just one last thing on this game. In terms of the the goals we conceded, we talked about Shaka letting his marker run right by him, holding, failing to step up on that one. But for that that goal that Czech gets killed for, and I get it, Czech should stay on his yeah. line. He should stay on his line there. But how do you have four guys go to the ball? I mean, we, why do we make mistakes that your Sunday league team wouldn't make? What is Mustafi doing? Four guys there? go to the ball with Ainsley Maitland Niles, Niles, probably the fastest player on the pitch with only one other rival covering the guy. Now, he was a yard behind him, but give him another half a second and he's caught up with him. Made no sense. But, the, but, I mean, you, you wouldn't play football, you know, at your local park and expect to see something like that. What is happening there? I just, yeah. you know, it's, and it's that kind of stuff that just you, you shake your head because I cannot imagine too many other teams doing that. When we say Wenger doesn't do tactics, it's not that he doesn't do tactics in the sense that he doesn't pick a back three or back four. For me, it's more that there's not enough granular educating, training, preparing going on like you see – uh, you know what places like like Liverpool or City with with Klopp and Pep. Um, so Klopp- the, the only thing I'd like to say, uh, yeah. uh, I'd hate to undo our good work here, but they those two teams conceded seven goals. I'm not. I don't really want to make a counter argument against what you said, but they conceded seven fucking goals at the weekend, and I, I still wonder how much better are either of those teams at defending. Um, you well, know, they right suppress now, chances. Biggest... They, they suppress chances, Paul, they but, but they give up quality chances because they play high-risk, high-reward football, right? They make a conscious yeah. choice. They say, we're going to press we aggressively in your half. because we're shit. Because we're shit, exactly right. So they make the choice. We're going to press aggressively in your half. If you can get past our press, you're going to have 
easier chances, success. right? Because you're going to have a numerical advantage and you're going to have success. Exactly. We don't have Whereas a we philosophy. we four guys escort them to goal. Yeah, let me ask you a question. Honest question, Paul. If, if I had to say to you, what going into this match, okay, because I looked at it, I watched, I couldn't, what was our philosophy? Bypass the midfield, overload a wing, long ball to the center forward, possession buildup, counter-pressing. What was the philosophy in this game? What were we trying to do? You look at it and you say you have a Wobie and Welbeck behind Lacazette. That's going to be tough. There's not going to be a lot of, of final ball there at giving it to Lacazette. And as, as Adrian Clark showed in the breakdown, as Lacazette got more and more frustrated, he dropped deeper and deeper. He highlighted, in fact, one really interesting moment where Lacazette has all the room in the world to run into. He makes a nice, intelligent diagonal run between the back four, about 50 yards from goal. They're playing a high line. Shaka has a simple straight ball to him, and he doesn't make it. And my argument there would be, if Shaka can't make that ball, why are we playing him? But what was the philosophy, Paul? What was the philosophy that this team was was trying to implement in beat to beat Bournemouth? I mean, I think it was just a very... The approach was planning to be kind of a balanced 3-4-3. Three, three. And the only thing you haven't mentioned is the idea of getting Jack forward uh, to make the angles and to make the passes, which was probably the only piece of it that worked. I I still scratch my head to see why we produce so little. I'd love to get Clive's input on that. Um, I mean, I, I don't think we were trying to do anything particularly special. We did a bit of everything and not much of anything. I mean, Iwobi made the one really good through ball to, to Bellerin yeah. for the goal, and that, that was a really nice pass. And there were other passes like that that were on. I mean, I thought they were very square, uh, Bournemouth's back line. They, they had low pressure on the ball in the defensive final third. But Welbeck and Iwobi don't have a lot of final ball in them. I realize I'm saying that in a game where Iwobi did make a really nice pass for the assist. Clive, you want to finish on that? Then I want to ask you about young players. Okay, um, the one word that, that highlights it for me is dominance in both boxes. We don't have the dominant character in our box. We don't have the dominant forward in their box. And you're absolutely right, Paul. The Lacazette runs are, are pretty good. But I'm afraid his, char- his character is quite peripheral. He is a linking player. He's the second forward to a dominant character. And our players are not passing to him to, because they're not told to. That's not, our, that's not our strategy. Our strategy is to pass to the nearest shirt and we progress up, up the field. We don't see the opportunity. The only one that sees it is Jack, who can drop the ball in the sixpence. We've backspin, and guess what? He's done it a couple of times with Sanchez, done it a couple of times in this game. And it looks quite good, and they're building a relationship. So we haven't got a dominant forward that says, give me the ball, I am your saviour. Right, we have we don't think of Lacazette that way as a team, and I don't see it on the pitch right now. Right, so and go go back into our box. We haven't got a dominant defender that's holding other defenders to account. Our most dominant defender's got a World Cup winners medal in his back pocket. He's the one that's diving in first into the fire. Right, he's been the one that should be directing these guys. Make them do his dirty work, and he should be the one coming off with a clean pair of shorts. And Holding and Chambers should be absolutely battered because they've gone into combat four or five times every five minutes, right? But no, he wants to get involved as well, where he should be mastering the defence. And that's where we're failing. So our two most experienced defenders, one of the youngest teams that Arsenal ever put out, the two most experienced people in the goalkeeper and our centre-half that cost 35 million quid are the two that let us down. They're the one that said, the goalkeeper stays on the line, we don't concede. And then the defenders diving in and running back 
like Keystone cops on that for them on, the, on that left-hand side. It looks embarrassing. And what's concerning is these are repeat errors. And the only people who can hold us to account on the pitch are the most experienced ones, and they're not doing it. In fact, they are causing the issues. Yeah. And that's a real concern, because we've invested. Peter Cech's a very expensive player for Arsenal. There's no resale. He's on a good wage. We've invested a lot of money over his contract. The same for Mustafi and the same for Lacazette. They are not dominant leaders, and that's why we are yearning for the two that are dominant. And guess what? They've both got five months left in their contract. So this is the issue. We haven't got those characters on the pitch that want to take responsibility, want to hold other people to account. And when they do, other players don't like it. And sometimes our fans don't like it. We say they've got bad attitudes. Well, that's how football is. If you don't do it, you get told by somebody. And they won't pass you the ball because you're shit. That's how it goes. <laughs> if you don't retain it, I'm telling you now, watch it. If you don't retain it, you're not getting it. You're not up to it. You're not moving it quick enough. You're not getting it. I'm going to turn out and go the other side. I won't pass until you get your game on. Right? So, and that's how football is. There's no one holding each other to account on the pitch. And that's why we're seeing repeat errors. And this game reminded me so much of Watford away. Watford away. We, again, we imploded in four or five minutes. Who is, who is learning that lesson? Who is managing the game? Who is playing in areas where they have problems, not us? And there's no one making the decisions on the pitch. So what do we do? We blame the manager. Actually, I blame the manager for his recruitment and the style of players that he's bought. That's a whole other subject. Yeah, well, we're about to get on to it. I, I was just going to make the point, too, that I think we, we have just kind of assimilated to the fact that we just play some young, borderline-ready players now as starters regularly. I mean, Holding and Chambers are starting center backs now. Chambers was supposedly not wanted this summer. I mean, it was unclear what his future was going to be. Holding was supposed to be, you know, way down the ladder. We sold Gabrielle, and now Holding and Chambers start. Maitland-Niles is 20. He's our starting left wing back. Hector Bellerin is 22. Now, he deserves it. He belongs there. But you got 22, 22, 22, 20. That's four-year back five right there. Being led by a guy in Mustafi who just does not appear to have the leadership capabilities or the awareness, the, the, the defensive skill set to, to manage that group. Up front, you've got Alex Iwobi, a 21-year-old who, you know, was playing with the reserves for part of last season, is now thrown in to start with, you know, with a team of players that just looks like an island of misfit toys, and we've just kind of accepted this. And, you know, you look at Arsenal, a team with the resources we have, and I just think the 11 we put out against Bournemouth is really, really disgraceful in terms of the level of quality of that 11. For us to be playing in a Premier League game with that group of people is just not good enough. So let's get to the fun stuff. Uh, I mean, the transfer window in January is supposed to be a, a sleepy time when maybe something happens or maybe something doesn't. Um, but things are happening. So the first thing I want to do is really quickly get to Theo Walcott. And Paul, there's a lot of revisionism around Theo. And I think some of that revisionism stems from the fact that, look, he got a really big contract that he probably shouldn't have been given. He was given it because we were selling stars. Did, did he get a really big contract? He, well, he did. Yeah. How much was it? Uh, what's he on? 120? Any, anywhere between 120 and 140, depending on what uh, paper you so, read. So there was a very realistic assessment of wages uh, with the list of all sorts of players. It had him at 110. So I'm not saying that's fact. I'm saying we've no fucking idea. I don't know why we get so bent no, out I of don't. shape. Well, well, let me finish my, my point and then I'll throw it over to you because I, I'm probably yeah. going the opposite direction than you think. I think... He, he got that contract. He got the knee injury against Spurs. 
he was out a long time. When he came back, he was never really able to influence uh, the game the way we might have hoped, although he did get, what, 19 goals last season? Um, uh, but in the back three, it's a system he doesn't really fit, and and so he hasn't really kicked on and, and lived up to what we might have hoped from that contract. Prior to that, he had been a very influential player who had some very key seasons, scored some of our most important goals ever, if you consider qualifying for the Champions League important uh, ever, I mean, in, you know, the second 10 years of Arsene Wenger. Not ever. Ever's wrong. Um, but, you know, he he he's a good player who did well. He never became the superstar we hoped he was. He then got a pretty big contract that maybe he didn't live up to, and now people are sort of suggesting he's shit, and it's great we're finally shot of him. I'm guessing you don't agree with that. I certainly don't. What would be your eulogy for, for Theo's Arsenal career? Uh, I'm not sure I, I'm up to eulogizing him right now. Obviously, given a little time and a longer run in, I could wax lyrical about him. But but I do think, I certainly think there's revisionism. I think almost everybody at this stage accepts his goal scoring and assisting record per minute played or per game is very healthy. Um, I think he's had a couple of golden spells with us. Uh, as a, a right winger working with Van Persie, he was absolutely instrumental in the heights that Van Persie hit. There was a time in which all of our attacking play came down the right wing through Theo or around Theo, and that was just the way we played for well over a season because it worked. Um, th- then Van Persie left, uh, Giroud came in, uh, and Although they were both right-footed or sorry, left-footed players, only one of them seemed to be able to do get dinks in from crosses from the right right side. Van Persie was superb at those little flicks that came in from Theo's side. Giroud never had the the speed and the pace, nor the same ability with his right foot. And I always felt that was a trick we missed out on with with uh, Walcott and Giroud. He never. He never got that near post, right post flick on that uh, Van Persie got so many goals with. Obviously, he had a couple of injuries, but when he came, when he came back uh, that last time, he had a good spell there while we were 4 2 3 one while he was put up front. Um, the FA Cup final against Aston Villa, there was a really good spell around that time. Mm-hmm. Where you know, even the time where he became a failed striker, he was actually pretty good, <laughs> um, both on the wing and at striker. I mean, it's, uh, let's put it this way: it has definitely gotten harder to just be a, a forward in the Premier League based entirely on pace because the smaller teams just don't give you the room behind you. I mean, I watch some of the the clips of the Invincibles, and the thing I can't believe as I watch them is. How often we have players like Henri running in behind high lines from small teams, or you know, there's tons yeah. of space to run into. That space has evaporated over the years as teams have gotten more compact and better at neutralizing that. So, you know, he was always better in Europe, I felt, than the Premier League because in Europe there was more of that space to run into. Yeah, and we had a little chatter on the Udinese tie for the qualification for Champions League where uh, Theo scored a couple of crucial goals kind of on the, the breakaway on the counter. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's always going to be difficult because he's always had this mixed history, a, a history, a career that was kind of full of promise, but but was it ever really delivered? I don't think anybody not... He, look, he won't even be satisfied with his career at Arsenal that it hits the, hit the heights it could have. But that's, 
you know, he, he certainly had his golden games and his golden period with us. But to then write him off as rubbish or a guy, you know, that's why the contract thing just pisses me off because, A, we don't know. B, goal scorers get big contracts. It's just the way it is. So he wasn't on a tiny contract. I don't think it was anything like the, the more pissed off you are, the higher you decide his contract must have been. Yeah, I, I think I think it's more just that that he had a lot of leverage at that time because we'd been selling our stars. We'd lost a lot of quote Arsenal men, you know, around that time, and yeah. there was this feeling that like you you can't lose Theo too. And we we I don't think we had a lot of leverage to negotiate, and so there's a feeling that maybe he got more out of that wage than than he would yeah. have under other circumstances. But you know, yeah. I mean, look, he was also and granted five to seven games worth, not, you know, a couple seasons worth, but he was in red hot form. He was playing really well, model professional in the sense that, you know, there, there was no off the pitch kind of issues with him at a time when Arsenal were swamped with that kind of stuff too. I think that was around the time Chesney wound up getting cut, cut loose. And, and then he blows out his knee and, you know, we never, he never really comes back from that. I mean, despite the fact that he still put up some, some reasonable numbers, but I mean, overall, do you feel that, Selling him now is the right time that we're getting a good return for it, and you're fine with the decision at this point. Yeah, it makes sense all around. Apart from, we're about to sell Sanchez, and one thing we're really short of is goal scorers. And you know, Welbeck seems to have totally lost the knack, unless it's a bundle. Mm-hmm. Um, Lacazette's kind of gone quiet on us, though we suspect he still has the quality. If he had a higher shot volume. Uh, which probably has something to do with us generating opportunities for him. But beyond Lacazette and, you know, who who are our goal scorers? So Giroud's injured till maybe February, but he may be going out. So that, that's my one my one question on whether this is really a great time for Walcott to go. I think it uh, our three four three days maybe are really the nail in his coffin because if we were playing four two three one and had committed to that. Um, I think he'd be more interested in staying and we'd be more interested in keeping him. So it, it's the right time overall, but it may not be the right time from a goal-scoring standpoint because uh, we've yet to see what we're going to place replace Sanchez with. So, yeah, I, yes, but but I don't know. We could still rue it. Yeah, I mean, it's, po- it's possible. I, I guess the question now is, are we making moves for the rest of this season or making moves for the future? And that leads us to our targets and... Clive, I, I think we are in a weird spot right now because you can't just flush this season down the toilet. It is still a season. We still have Europa League. I mean, there's still stuff going on. You can't, you can't just throw it away. And at the same time, I'm not sure we should be making moves in this window to prioritize this season because, you know, it's just, just really hard to say what... <sighs> what's going to happen this season with any certainty, but I think it's very hard to see us climbing back into the top four. So let, let's go through these targets one at a time. The first is Aubameyang. This is a player I've been desperate yeah. for us to sign. I mean, one of my favorite strikers in all of Europe, desperate, desperate, desperate for us to get him. And had we added him this summer, along with everything we already had, and let's say we sold Giroud and Theo to partly fund that. Sell Coughlin as well. Get those players out the door this summer instead of in January. Use the money, bring in PEA, and... You know, you have something really, really special in the making there. Now, you could question, well, how do you fit Lacazette and PA? Maybe do one and the other. Anyway, point is, 
28-year-old striker who movement and pace is definitely a part of his game. Um, he's an end product guy, not a key pass and assist guy. So in terms of the short term and the long term, how do you feel about Aubameyang if you, know, if you think we're going to get him at all? I like this move. Um, I liked it when I first saw it. I didn't think it was going to happen, actually, and still may not, but I like it. And going on from what I was talking earlier about Lacazette, this guy has got a dominant personality. When you see him play, you see him on the team sheet, you think, okay, there's some fear factor here. The thing about the Bournemouth team, there was a lot of fear factor in that team. No one was adjusting to us. No one was making plans for us. They they knew they could compete with us. This guy forces um, you to think about what's going to happen. It forces you to think about when you're in possession, what can happen if we get the book, if we get possession. He's got dominant skill sets, which are obvious. And he's got dominant personality in the box. He's got physicality. He's got size, and he's got the threat of speed and movement. I really like him, and I like players like that 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 bring fear and they walk on the pitch. And when you look at them, you think, okay, I love that. I know what he's going to do for us, right? And it gives you hope as a fan when you're in the in the terraces, in the seats. When you look on the pitch, you want to see hope, and that guy brings loads of hope with it. That's the plus side. The downside is, unlike most of the other teams in the league, and let's talk about Liverpool and City that we watched at the weekend. We we know they play a four three three. We know they play a dual number eight in centre midfield. They have a number a number six, a holding player there that's quite combative. They play with lots of energy. So when they buy players, you your mind immediately says, "Oh, they're buying somebody to play the eight, or they're buying a wide forward, or they're buying a connecting goal scorer in the middle up front." We're buying a Bamian, and potentially we're buying him. We don't know what he's going to be, how he's going to be used, in what formation, in what style, who's going to give him the ball. Is it going to be a 4-3-3? Is it going to be a 4-2-3-1? Is it going to be a 3-4-2-1? Is it going to be a two strikers? We don't know. And that's the concern. It's almost beyond the targets now. It's like, okay, what are we trying to be? What's our game plan? Are we going to turn into a counter-attacking team that plays in transition to create the space in behind, which you were talking about earlier? Mm-hmm. We don't know. It's almost beyond the player. I'm excited about the player. Of course I am. I just he's a, he's a phenomenal player. And, and, you know, I think one thing we should do, Clive, just really quickly, is just stop and recognize that this is a player who has 180 goals for yeah. Dortmund in the last, what, six or seven seasons? Six seasons? Um, he has... 40 goal seasons under his belt. He has 35 goal seasons. This is not, you know, a Giroud upgrade. This is a totally different class of player. Aubameyang is a much better player than Lacazette. Much, much better. So, like, much better. So, this isn't us buying, you know, a neat little attacking player. I mean, this is one of the best strikers in Europe for three to four seasons running. Um, so I, I don't think the question is the, and the sort of player that Urzel, sort of player Urzel needed probably two two years ago. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And and you know I, it is it is really frustrating for me the timing of these moves and when they're happening. I guess my question is, and I'll slide it over to you, Paul, really quickly. Is you know I think Clive makes a lot of important points. You can't just buy players. We did that with Shaka, and look at it. He's he's a classy player in some ways. He's a terrible fit for us. You have to know how you're going to use them. How are they going to fit into the system? What's the long-term plan? How will their wages affect your ability to recruit younger players you need for later or midfielders or whatever? So, I mean, is this a really, really exciting player coming to Arsenal and yet a really, really short-term move for a team with very little chance of winning anything short-term? Well, I mean, from, from he's, what, 28 and a half? Uh, we'll he, come he's nearer 29 than 28. 
Oh, no, he's behave, not. Behave, behave. <laughs> and, like, we'll get on to Mkhitaryan, but he's 28 yep, even. Yep. And Alexis is 29. So, you know, the big debate is whether we keep – would have been could we keep uh, Alexis. Well, he's gone. Well, he's 29. So this guy, hey, we saved ourselves six months. Um, interestingly, on Aubameyang, so I know somebody who actually knows somebody at Arsenal, so I don't get a lot of inside information, but I got this little bit, which was Arsenal was very interested in Aubameyang uh, during the, uh, at the time he moved to Dortmund, but he was told that his first touch wasn't good enough. Uh, interestingly, that, that's probably true. His, his first touch wasn't good enough. But everything else he does is brilliant. Um, so, you know, he's very much the goal scorer who makes the runs. Um, but you can see, and, and there's been some good write-ups. L- Lewis Ambrose has been doing some good stuff. He's, he basically conter- confirms that view. He, you know, he's not a Lacazette. He's not going to drop into midfield. Well, I don't think and, Lacazette wants to be dropping into midfield either. <laughs> I think that's yeah. a, a, a but he can. bug, not a feature. <laughs> yeah. Whereas Obama Yang is a guy, he's basically a Welbeck who can score, but maybe even not quite as build-up play as Welbeck is. I mean, he's very... Well, that's fine. Get in, get in the be. box. Yeah. You know, if, if yeah, the rest the of the box. team can't can't get you in a position to score, that's their fault, not yours. You know? Yeah. I, and by and the he, way, I mean, he's in the box. He doesn't have brilliant touch. He's just, he makes the runs, he's in the right places, and law of averages... But to your point, you have to get him the ball. You have to have a plan to get him the ball. Um, and it won't be, you know, there was some talk about Obama Yang on the wing and Lacazette through the middle. I mean, I Hell guess they can try no. everything and see Fuck. what works. No. But I think it's more likely to see Lacazette playing from a little bit from the side and Obama Yang, even if he's starting from one side or the other, being the actual striker. And Lacazette's the guy who's making space for him. But. It's uh, I don't know. I mean, it's it's definitely a kind of a a a retrofit of a player, and I'm not sure we're it, particularly structured to it, feed him. Is it too short? So again, if you're one player, right? You know, sometimes you feel you're on the brink of something special, and you buy the player you need to get over the hump. We are not, not on the brink of anything special, unless you consider special being in a relegation battle. So like, like. Should we be tearing it apart and buying 23-year-olds because the squad just needs to be turned over? It, as, as much as I am ex, just extraordinarily excited about the prospect of seeing Aubameyang play for Arsenal, he probably has two seasons at his absolute best, three if we're lucky. I mean, is, is it a short term? Probably as move? many as Alexis, though. That's, yeah, that's fair, but Alexis is, is gone. Um, I, and, and by the way, I don't think we should have necessarily re-signed Alexis because I think Alexis could have a cliff coming because of how much football he's played. All right, well, well let's, get, let's get to Alexis. So, Clive, the first thing I want to ask you is just point blank. Let's say, let's put the deals that are on offer aside for a minute. Rank for me of the Premier League clubs he's linked to, and let's include Chelsea in this just for shits and giggles, from... The, the club that would least bother you with him going to them to the club that would most bother you going to them between City, Chelsea, and United? Ooh, I, it, oh, let's be honest. City is probably the least that bothers me. Because um, uh, what difference next. does it make? <laughs> yeah, what difference does it make? But um, I think City have been a little, bit, a little bit snooty about this. Suddenly they care about the dollars when um, 
they're, they're backed by a country. They don't care about that normally. So what's what's why all of a sudden when Arsenal ask for money, does it suddenly matter to them? Um, Man United don't care. They've got 650 million fans around the world, so they'll just sell the shirts and recover that money. No problem. They'll pay whatever they need. I actually think if I was Sanchez, I would go to Chelsea if I had a choice. I think um, with their sort of dual number 10s, he suits that with Hazard behind the forward. I think he'd be really, really good there and he wouldn't have to move house or anything. So if I was him, I would go there. But um, the main United thing just smells. I don't like getting involved with Raiola at all. Potential of Mkhitaryan coming the other way and, and having that agent in our club. Okay, I can't... I, I We have to have these relationships because they own all the best players. But I, I'd love to see... I'd, I wonder what the detail is behind that deal. That's all I'm going to say. If it just happened, it just sort of scared me a I bit. I mean, we have to start... De- Unfortunately, we have to start dealing with these agents, though. We've got I mean, to deal I, with the Sharks. I, I'm we sorry, you to. can't be we whiter than white in this in this market and say, we're not going to buy players from those those agents because they have the best players. Um, yeah. So I, I, don't, you know, I don't think we have a choice there. So then let me ask you this. Right now, I think the deal that has the inside track, and I do not believe it will happen, and I ultimately think Alexis will stay at Arsenal and go for free in the summer. I don't think he's going to be sold. I don't think we'll get Aubameyang. I don't think we'll get Mkhitaryan. I don't think we'll get Malcolm. I don't think we'll buy anyone. I don't think we'll sell anyone else. Um, Wow. But putting that aside for one moment, do you think the rumored deal... The rumor is we won't do the deal with United unless Mkhitaryan comes the other way. What's your take on that approach strategically and then the player himself in terms of whether you want him or not the rumor is what i read is that almost the other way that um the deal won't happen unless mkhitaryan comes and that, that's, that's what i'm saying decided. that's what i said yeah yeah yeah, yeah. in other words so, like like so do you think that that is strategically the right way we should be playing this and and if so or if not what do you think of the player um, the player I really liked before he went to Manchester United, I really wanted him. I mean, he, he's the player we want Alex Iwobi to be. 20 goals and 20 assists for Dortmund in the season before he came. And then you start to think about Aubameyang, you think, hold on a minute here. Is there a plan? Because, you know, them two had a had a stunning relationship for a couple of years, right? So, well, and, he Sven, was and Sven Mislintat would know these players better than anyone. He he was he's already he's already vouched for um, Aubameyang's character, and he would know about Mkhitaryan. Mkhitaryan needed another type of manager. He didn't need the brute that he chose. He probably needs a Wenger, somebody who's going to make him feel nice and comfortable and relaxed about his game. And so I I'm not I've I've been concerned about Mkhitaryan since he's been to Manchester United because some of the things that have happened to him, they border on almost a loss of confidence and a real men- a lack of mentality to handle the move. So, but the player that they bought was a stunning player, and we were close to getting him. So, if if we could get that player back, then great. But if we're getting a broken shell of somebody, then it's obviously it's obviously a concern. I hope the Aubameyang thing happens, and I hope the Malcolm thing happens as well. And I hope we move towards that four-three-three formation, start to use Lacazette as a false nine. That's what I want to see happen. But um, um, <laughs> the longer t- times kills deals. Right, and the longer this goes on, the longer maybe you're going to be right, Elliot, that nothing's going to actually happen. He at didn't all. want to come to us before. I can't imagine he's changed his mind and wants to come to us now, unless he just hates being with Mourinho, you know, so much. And I'm going to tell you something. You know, look, I I think this is an extraordinary player, and the fact that he's been terrible for United, or at least mostly, Jose Mourinho has a history with talented, creative, you know, mercurial kind of players. I mean, you look at what he 
did with Juan Mata. I mean, he basically like stuck him in the the basement, like you know, the gimp from Pulp Fiction for a while before he was allowed out. And he nearly ran, you know, he ran Salah out. He ran Kevin De Bruyne out. He he ran Juan Mata out of of Chelsea. I mean, I don't think there's anything embarrassing about a player like Mkhitaryan failing in Jose's system. Um, having said that, again, it's another guy who's going to be 29 who you just wonder, I mean, are we getting a short-term option on a very big wage when what we're really in need of is ripping it up and starting over? Now, this move makes a lot of sense to me if we don't think we've got a chance of re-signing Mesut Ozil. It makes less a- sense to Ellie, me. Ellie, go, go ahead, we're Paul. all going to be 29 at some stage. He's 28. I, I'm going to tell you something. He's I will never be 29. 28. <laughs> that ship has sailed. Um, yeah, he's literally 28. All right, well, look, we're not going to do so the we, we're caught between We're caught Paul, between strategies, aren't yeah. we? We're caught between strategies. We're thinking, okay, we're in a situation now, halfway through the season, where our key influential players, we we can't we can't talk about their commitment. So we've got to get, we've got to get rid of one at least. And now what do we do? Do we say we want to build for the future? So, what does that? When does that start? Does it start now, or does it start in the summer? Right? We don't know. Who's going to be our manager? Does he? Does that change in the summer? So, if we start building for the future, with a with a future manager want these players, or is that even going to be the model? Is it going to be a model where we buy the players and the future manager comes in and he has to deal with the players that's on the that's on the sort of squad sheet? Right? So, we are caught between strategies, and we are now reacting to what's happening around us. And that's, that's all we ever to do. mismanagement. Yeah, we, we're, we're a reactive club. And, and Clive, let, I mean, look, real quick. I mean, do any of these moves strike you as something that six months ago this was in the plan and we're working towards a strategy? Or do they strike you as face-saving Hail Marys because we're desperate? Well, some, I'll tell you what, I don't know if you've noticed it, right? But something's happening. The type of players that we're linked to, we weren't being linked to before. I, I just, and I'm, and I'm putting this down to the the new head of recruitment, right? So, when Aubameyang rumor first came up, I sort of laughed at it, thinking we're not going to get him. But suddenly, you think about it, you think, well, actually, that could, that could happen. There's going to be there's going to be a connection there, right? So, and it's got warmer and warmer and warmer. The the, the Malcolm one, that's another one. I, I never thought that would ever get close. That's quite close, right? It might not happen due to Bordeaux sticking their feet in for the summer. But we are now seen to be attracting, or sorry, targeting the right sort of players with the right sort of dynamic profiles. And that's really interesting. So I hold out a bit of hope there. I know it's a bit gloomy on this podcast tonight, but I hold out a bit of hope there that something is happening. I mean, Arsenal made 11 backroom appointments in the summer. And so we've got to hold on to that and say how we operate has to be different to how it was in previous years. Those people are not sitting there waiting for the man to go. They've got to be working. They've got to be creating contacts. They've got to be broadening our network. They've got to be dealing with the contracts. They've got to be working on the fitness side. It has to be happening. You don't appoint and pay people to see nothing at all. So I've been quite interested in the type of things that we're signing, type of things that we're linked to, sorry. And I'm, I'm, that's my hope, really. And without that, what have we got going forward? I- so, I like the profile of the players. <clears throat> I think the age profile and the positions they play makes me wonder if there's a plan. Because, Paul, I mean, say we get Mkhitaryan. And now we have Mkhitaryan, Ozil, Aubameyang, and Lacazette. <laughs> I mean, how do you 
how do you set this team up? Like, and and the crazy thing is, no midfielder in sight. And, and let's say we get Malcolm, and let's say he comes this window, and I realize he's more of one for the future, and if he's an option off the bench, that's a perfectly reasonable place for him to be, and that is the kind of age profile we should be buying a guy who could become the next wide forward star in, in European football. Fine. But, like, like there's no midfield. What are the midfielders Arsene Wenger has bought? N- name for me all the midfielders Arsene Wenger has bought since the Invincibles. I mean... Santi Cazorla wasn't bought to be a midfielder. He plays wide forward. He, he, he developed a midfielder. But Flamini, back, uh, Shaka, he pulled Coughlin back in on a recalled from, from a long... Like, he just has not addressed this part of the pitch in, in any meaningful way. Uh, I guess Mikel Arteta was pretty good by. But, you know, it's just not a... It's not an area he seems to want to address. I mean, for you, is the concern not so much the, the caliber the players were linked with, but the area of the pitch that just seems to continually be ignored? Yeah, uh, it, it, I mean, it's, it's clearly the area of the pitch where, you know, he has not demonstrated a clear commitment to a blueprint, a plan, recruitment, consistency, players that pair up and match together. Tactical methodology. Tactical methodology, yeah, coaching I, approach. I mean, do you, do you would, would this Malcolm guy be someone that excites you? I mean, is this someone you think fits the way we should be recruiting from now on? You know, a... A guy who's not the guy yet, but but profiles towards being the guy. I mean, is is he the one that that you think is the direction we should be moving more than like a, a an Obamian or a Mkhitaryan? He excites he excites me, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, so, and and the dog apparently. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Yeah, it's totally fine. Got a, got a crazy hand who feels very strongly about it. <laughs> but yeah, this is the area of the pitch that are is our biggest issue and you know we're struggling both in attack and the defense this year and the answer is probably in the middle of the pitch so um and yet as you say this is not where we're looking at recruitment there's no word there's no rumor um it's also an area where we kind of have an overabundance of players who don't quite work or fit you know we could you got your Ramses, Wiltshire, Chaka, El Nenny, um, and yet none of them are quite perfect. So he's got too many players, and yet he's not looking for the right player at the moment, at least by any of the vibes we get. I mean, am I, am I crazy in suggest- So let's say Alexis goes and Aubameyang, Mkhitaryan come in. I mean, can you put together a reasonable, sensible formation with that collection where they all start? I mean, is it is it... Ozil, Lacazette, Aubameyang with, or uh, Mkhitaryan, Lacazette, and Aubameyang up front. Ozil in a midfield three, and you go four, three, three. I mean, wh- how do you how do you set that up? I, I think Mkhitaryan kind of takes over from Awobi, so you'd have Ozil and Mkhitaryan. You got Lacazette up front. Uh, still doesn't fix our midfield two if we're playing a four, and two, it, three, and it one. Doesn't get Aubameyang on the pitch, so keep thinking. <laughs> yeah. And a four-two-three-one. You got Ozil and Mkhitaryan. They'll have to do some swapping in your interplay. I mean, Mkhitaryan likes to go through the center. He loves a good nutmeg. Uh, he scores as much as he assists. So he'd give us a lot in terms of goal scoring. He's kind of like a more aggressive, assertive Ramsey, a little further up the pitch. If you look at his stats uh, from from uh, Dortmund, one thing I like he's he's got creative stats that are similar to Ozil in terms of his creative output, but he dribbles a lot. So you get some of that Alexis, you know, beat a man, get to the next level kind of play that we lose when Alexis isn't on the pitch. 
Yeah, though if you lose Alexis, you really need to replace him with three players. You need a goal scorer, you need a sister, and then you need a guy who's full-time giving the ball away. Well, Aubameyang gives you, gives you the goals. Um, I think Mkhitaryan can give you back some of the assists, and then... You know, we're just going to have to be able to rely on our midfield to keep Mustafi. giving the ball away like they, yeah, Mustafi, Mustafi, like, like they did the weekend. Clive, um, you, you said Malcolm uh, uh, excites you. I mean, this look, this could be the right kind of window, right? You get Aubameyang and Mkhitaryan to fix it right now, make us exciting right now, make us relevant right now, give us a chance to still play some decent football. The way I understand it, Mkhitaryan yeah. could play in the Europa League, Aubameyang could not. And then you get a Malcolm who we start to rebuild and restructure for the future. Let's start to get into, as we, as we close out here, though, the likelihood of any of this happening. So let's start with the Malcolm deal. What do you, what do you think the odds are that we get that over the line? Bordeaux seem to be digging their heels in. I think they wanted us to loan him back. I don't see why we wouldn't do that. We don't need him this season, yeah. especially if we're getting Aubameyang and Mkhitaryan, and we've got pretty much nothing left to play for besides the Europa League. So, so is, is the Malcolm one the hardest of the three, in your opinion? It looks that way, but I, I would do exactly that. I would loan him back. You don't want him going to the World Cup and, and being a star, right? And coming back and, and suddenly he costs 100 million. Buy him now. Put him in the, like Liverpool did with Cater. Buy him, get him locked down, show your intent. I and mean, we're, we're a team that's had wide players. Let's, let's compare it to Theo Walcott. Theo Walcott, a great counter attacking forward, right? In the, on the wide right area in a 4 2 3 1. He does that job very well. He transitions quickly and he can cross, shoot and score. Malcolm can do the same counter-attacking from deep, but also on deep line defences. He can dribble, he can cut, he can attract people. In tight spaces, he can play. This is the type of players that we want. People can do more than one thing. But then, the, So if the game is, one of, is a part of the bus game, he can still play. If the game is a counter-attack game, he can still play. This is what I call squad building. Right, so we need to be focusing on these type of players, knowing what we are, if we're a possession team, knowing what could happen in different scenarios. We want players who can do more than that, than Theo Walker. And that's why I criticise him. What Theo does is great, but not he's not for us. We need more than that. Right, so I hope we, we, we grow up, be adult. It's not just about buying these players. It's about buying them first, buying them at the right price. So we have a sustainable financial future and we can build on the squad. We've been so slack that we've, we've got no assets in our group right now. So that's what I hope we do. Edit. Buy him now. If we can't come now, buy him anyway and build for next season. Do you think we'll get him? I, I think we will. I think we will. I think we'll get him. It may cost another five million for him to suck it up and say we want to, so we'd have to learn him back. But pay the money. If you want him and he fits what you're doing, Pay the money, but that's the big if, right? I mean, with us always, Paul. I mean, well, well, hang on, Clive, just real quick. So then, give yep. me your quick odds on the Aubameyang thing happening and Mkhitaryan as part of the Alexis deal. The Mkhitaryan one worries me the most. I just think that could go either way, right? So, um, Aubameyang, I think, could happen. He's put in a transfer request. He's agreed personal terms. I've read, so it could happen, but that could be dependent on on seeing somebody go out of the club. With, with decent wages. So would Giroud have to go to make it happen? Would Sanchez have to go to make it happen? Because Arsenal being Arsenal, we are in trouble with the Premier League 7% wage increase rule because we've we've already spent money on Colosinic and already spent money on Lacazette. So we can't increase our wage bill anymore. Because we haven't made us quite appropriate. Got rid of, we haven't got rid of Debussy. We're getting rid of Theo right now. So we need to lose people to buy people. 
right? So, so that's what needs to happen. So I'm, I think Aubameyang is the, probably the one that must happen the most. I think Malcolm should happen, whether it's now or in the summer. But I think Mkhitaryan is the one that's got the most sort of uh, doubt for me because it's so linked up in the Sanchez deal. Um, I, I think he's very dodgy, very dicey at the moment. Um, okay, uh, Paul, I mean, quick summary, Malcolm, Aubameyang, Mkhitaryan, and then, I mean, if you want to even touch on it, Giroud maybe going the other way in an Aubameyang swap, which seems impossible, but you want to just quickly give me your thoughts on whether any of those or some of those or all of those will happen? Yeah, I mean, I generally disregard any of these trade scenarios. They never seem to actually come off or happen, and there's too many agents and requirements involved for it to happen. But, I mean, the United one is real. I mean, I definitely think Sanchez is off, um, and it's clear from Rayola that the... Um, the that the Mkhitaryan aspect of it is real and that we're the option they're considering. So um, it, to me, it sounds like that's very much on and very much on the cards. And I think it's it seems like we've been through these scenarios where we've got two or three serious things we're looking at, but only one of them ever happens. That seems to be like each each window. Uh, it was kind of la- similar during the summer, where in the end it looked like it was going to be Lamar, but there were a few other names in the in the option too, and Lamar was the real one and almost happened. So, I think it's uh, Mkhitaryan or Aubameyang, even though they're different kinds of players, it may speak to the fact that we need to cover part of what we're losing from Alexis, and we also need to cover our ass as a club to sell Alexis. Um, politically to bring in nobody would be a mistake and to lose all of his production with a mistake. I find it hard to believe we'll get both of them done. I mean, I can see the romance of it and the Tat angle and the reuniting the Dortmund factors, but we've invested in Lacazette and it would generally be um, Wenger's way to want to take advantage uh, and to set him up for success. Um, if we were very fortunate and all the stars aligned and Dortmund wanted Giro and Giro wanted Dortmund, then yeah, we could actually not just pull off one but two, but I mean the odds start going away. I think they're all real. I think all the all those discussion points are real, including Malcolm. But I don't think they all happen. I think we're it, it was clear from the was it the president or the or or Owner, the the G you? Yeah, the GM or whatever said, uh, hinted that it would be hard, but he also said there hadn't really been any discussions. And uh, I take that to be true, that there aren't full discussions on yet. I think they're keeping that one warm. If they if they don't get the Mkhitaryan thing, if Aubameyang goes up, goes belly up, I mean, there's a lot of flirting goes on with these yeah. things by the agents. So, well, let's say uh, this. Oh, sorry, finish, yeah. finish your thought. Uh, I could see us getting one of Mkhitaryan or Yang and doing the Malcolm thing, as you say, with a loan, with an eye to the future, if they can get that done. But that's almost a parallel track, and they don't see that as any kind of fix for the Alexis situation. Yeah, so the, the one thing we should say about all this, this isn't your typical transfer chatter. This isn't tabloid bullshit. This is all well-sourced. All this seems to be legit, yeah. right? So I think we agree yeah. on that. I mean, we agree that with respect to the the Mkhitaryan deal, the Aubameyang deal, the Malcolm deal, the, these things seem reasonable. I, 
Giroud going the other direction in the Bamiyang deal, I don't know how realistic that seems. Um, but I, I think, look, we, we can probably just about leave it here. I, I want to just give my final quick appraisal of what I think is going to happen here. And I am very, very, very skeptical of Jose Mourinho doing anything to help us out of a situation. City seem to be right there ready to get Alexis. And Except here, that yeah. he's got much bigger problems than us. He does, but I mean, the, the title is gone, and he, I'm sure he knows that. But even regardless, I mean, the notion that he just all of a sudden wants Alexis and he's going to give us a player back, and I mean, I get that it's a player he wants to be shot of, so maybe maybe there's something here, but Jose would, uh, I, I think, I do think it's genuinely. I do think it's genuinely different. He's fighting right now for his life at United. I mean, there was talk about him potentially going by the summer and he needs to completely reposition himself uh, so yeah, what and Alexis maybe pipping is, the manchester rivals for a, a top player and potentially yeah. improving the end of their season sure and he's still got champions league to worry about and i would assume that uh, alexis can play in that so yeah yeah I, I mean, and he doesn't have a game where they're up front at the moment and this hits the reset button he can say yeah, forget that stuff uh, uh you know i i now have a killer up front measure me from here well, it I looks think, like, uh, also, yeah, go ahead, Elliot, uh, Slatan is, is not the player he was since the knee injury, and he was his banker. He was his big personality. He's got young, talented players up front that can't carry the weight of that shirt. Alexis can carry the weight of that shirt. Yeah, that's no fair. No problem. Yeah, that's fair. All right, look, <laughs> I mean, maybe I'm, I'm overthinking this just because we've been burned before, but... It doesn't look like Mkhitaryan wants to come to us. We've said that we'd only do it as part of a swap deal, which seems crazy in some respect. But, I mean, Alexis has some incentive not to go because the deal he can sign would be massive if he if he goes for free. I know he wants out now. I could see this imploding and not getting done and Alexis being here at the end of deadline day, which may make it impossible for us to afford the wages uh, and fee for Aubameyang, who I think we're probably closest to getting that deal done because, look, Aubameyang has one big contract left. Dortmund doesn't pay huge wages. He needs to move now if he wants to make some big money before his career is over. So this is his window. He's got to go. He's got to go and make big money somewhere. It seems that he has allowed the relationship with Dortmund to implode, apparently, from a, a tabloid or newspaper situation over there. The, the media have gotten under his skin, and he's gotten under theirs, and so I think that is a divorce waiting to happen. So I could see that happening, but I've got to believe we need to shift Alexis to make it happen. I don't think there's a chance in hell we get Malcolm... That's the kind of deal we have failed at time and time and time again. Now, look, everyone can say, well, now we have Raul Salini or Saini, whatever. I mean, I heard he wasn't starting until February. Maybe he's trying to help that deal over the line. We are notoriously poor at paying up and, and working with these clubs that have these you know, bright young talents. And, and so I'm, I'm just skeptical. I could see this window going completely sideways on us where the Alexis deal blows up and really prevents anything else from happening. Um, which would put us in a really, really challenging position, in reintegrating him and certainly explaining why we spent all of January not using him to win games. But maybe I'm wrong. I mean, the deal I would most like to see happen is Aubameyang come because he's just a player I adore. Um, the Malcolm deal might be a better one for us long term. It all hinges on Alexis going, and that seems to hinge on Mkhitaryan wanting to come. It goes back to something you've also often talked about, Clive, which is we need to get back to being a place players want to come play. And I mean, one Absolutely. of the arguments for going and getting Aubameyang and Mkhitaryan one of the big arguments for doing it, even if it's short-termism, is so that then when you go out and try to recruit other young talents, they want to come because they get to play with Ozil and Mkhitaryan and Aubameyang. Um, exactly. You know, instead I'm, of saying, I'm hey, come play with Welbeck and Iwobi, you know? Exactly. I'll tell you why I haven't read for a little while. A headline saying, I want to come to Arsenal. That is a club of my dreams. 
I haven't read that for a while. People wanted to play with Thierry Henry. They wanted to play with Cesc Fabregas. They wanted to play with Robin Van Persie. They wanted to play, you know, I mean, they wanted to play with Dennis Bergkamp. They wanted to play with Vieira and Pires and and all of those guys. I mean, it just, if you lose Alexis and you don't bring in some big names and you just recruit young talent, who's the guy that you use as the lure to go get the other big talents? And I got news for you. You got to play the agent game too because suddenly you get one of these players that's, you know, managed by one of these super agents and the roster of talent he has they all hear about how great it is there london's great they're taking good care of me that stuff matters um so we may not like it and it may be the ugly side of football but if we want to compete in this game we have to compete first by by built somehow building relationships with those unsavory types i'm sorry it's the reality um you know what by the next time we we do a podcast um I mean, there's a there's a decent chance some of this will have been decided. Although I think this could run and run, as they say. Our next match is what do we play Saturday? Home to Palace. I mean, chance to turn yeah. it around. Be nice if we could get some deals done before that and unveil some new players in front of the Emirates. Would be great. We'll see. Um, in any event, uh, hopefully Tim will be back for that. We'll get Scott back for that. But. Twitter's a lot of fun right now. I recommend you go there. It's kind of like standing in your house while it's burning down. Paul's on Twitter. Pause in my pants. Thanks, pause. Mm-hmm. Clive's on Twitter at Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. Hey, my name's Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner, and based on how I've been tweeting lately, I strongly recommend it. Uh, please give us a five-star review. We would really appreciate it. Then write nasty stuff uh, about Tim, about Scott. Really makes no difference to either of us, any of us, but you could do it. Um, so I hope uh, you have a great time reading all the rumors. Don't get yourself too twisted up about it. Leave that for me. In any event, we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10. Palace nil. No.